David Southwick, welcome to Young, Dumb and Politically Disengaged. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks, Leslie. Great to be with you. You've been the Liberal member in the Victorian Parliament for the seat of Caulfield for over a decade now, and your focus is very much local. You've lived in Caulfield forever, and you're an active member of the Jewish community there as well. You've been a small business owner yourself. You're passionate about the community sector. You're passionate about education, and you're passionate about bagels, of course. So my first and probably most pressing question to you is, Love a good bagel. <laughs> where can we find the best bagels in your seat? Well, you can't go past Glicks. I think that's certainly a really good uh, bagel place and they've got a few different outlets there. Um, so yeah, I think Glicks is probably my first preference. We're spoiled for choice in what's the bagel belt of, uh, of Caulfield, but certainly all about great cafes, restaurants and food. So very lucky to be the local member that I reckon has the best cafes and restaurants uh, going. Uh, one of the things, Leslie, you failed to mention that I reckon would, would certainly resonate with many of your listeners is I was also a DJ. I DJed for probably 20 years in uh, lots of people's parties, birthdays, weddings, uh, nightclubs. So from a DJ to a politician, it's a pretty interesting change. Wow. Yeah, a lot of cross-heel crossover, I'd imagine, between DJing and politics. <laughs> yeah, different different form of party. So I've gone from running parties to uh, to now being involved in a political party. You know, I've always kind of had the, the values of working hard and, and reward for effort. And so I did that from a very, very early age. Used to run different businesses growing up just to, you know, raise money for my first bike or whatever it was. So um, kind of for me, sort of the value of reward for effort has been a big thing. And then the other real passion that I've had is helping people. So I did a lot of work with homelessness and long-term unemployed. So uh, one of the local charities was ARDOC, which we helped uh, kids at risk. And the main focus was ensuring that kids stayed at school. And I've always had a really strong philosophy of giving everyone a level playing field. And so everyone should be given that level playing field and that, that um, opportunity to run their own race. And then how they run the race is up to them. And so I think, you know, for me, the difference between the two political parties is I, I really feel as though um, the party that I stand for with the Liberals is about giving people that level playing field to run their own race and not interfere too much in people's lives. And so the idea about freedoms and choice is a really big thing that resonates strongly with me. Now, you've worn many different hats in your political career so far. You've served as chair of the Victorian Parliament's Education and Training Committee, where you were involved in reporting issues facing the future of education in our state. You were a board member on the Victorian Responsible Gambling Foundation, looking at issues caused by problem gambling and advocating for responsible gambling. You were also appointed Parliamentary Secretary for Police and Emergency Services and served on the Law Reform and Drugs and Crime Prevention Committees. You were previously the Shadow Minister for Energy and Resources, Shadow Minister for Renewables and Shadow Minister for Innovation. And since 2018, you're the current Shadow Minister for Police, for Community Safety and for Corrections as well. So that's quite an extensive political resume there. What's been your proudest moment in politics so far and what are you most excited about achieving next? 
Yeah, look, that's a really good question, Leslie. I think for me, uh, the thing that really uh, I love about this job is it's more important about the little wins um, uh, and and ensuring that you know can help individuals that quite often struggle just trying to find uh, whether it's been issues around housing or or support. Um, uh, and particularly over COVID, there's been lots of issues where people have just been calling, dealing with family circumstances, people having to get home from overseas that they've got you know someone that might be unfortunately been on their deathbed and they haven't been able to get get back in time. So the job, the, the great thing about this job is it's really about helping others. And so, and I love that. So that's a really strong passion of mine. Um, I've been really, I've also really um, quite passionate about um, helping people setting up their own businesses and startups and everything else. So when I had the innovation portfolio, there was lots of things we did around trying to support people in getting a business set up for themselves, their own startup. And so I think you know, that's one of the great things about Victoria. I think we've got a really good opportunity to be one of the startup capitals of the world. We have people, overseas students that come here, they want to study here. We have great tourism and events and so many great things going for Victoria that I think you know, we have a real opportunity to create industries of the future and jobs of the future. And I think for young people, that's what makes it really, really um, interesting in terms of those opportunities. Currently, uh, the portfolio around police I think that's really, really important. And uh, we I was involved when we had the policy that actually got PSOs on every train station in Melbourne to ensure public transport of a night was safe. And that was something that I was very proud about because I think people travelling of a night time, you need to be safe and you need to feel safe being able to be able to use public transport. Um, so, and I think we've got to do more around community safety. We've got to, we've got to have a better go at that. And I think balancing that with what, what police and their responsibilities have to do. I think during COVID particularly, uh, and I know a lot with, with lockdown, there's been kind of an overreach with enforcement. And uh, and I think police have probably got to a point where they've had to do things um, quite often that may not look very appealing. I know I was talking to media yesterday about the pregnant woman that was arrested, handcuffed and taken away in a divvy van because she was protesting against COVID. Now, you know, I've said on many occasions, no one should be protesting during these really difficult times. But I think there's a way about how we go about managing these things. And I think, you know, the overreach of the police, particularly around young people, we want there to be a positive engagement with police. And I don't think that that serves anybody to have um, a police force that people don't regard highly because there's been an overreach between the community and police. The news in politics this month in February, it hasn't really slowed down since last month. We had a lot going on last month, um, but I guess as always, it's one thing after another. Um, We're not going to sort of delve too deeply into everything, otherwise we'd be here for hours, literally. Um, But so far, we've seen the start of the national Pfizer vaccine rollout. We've had some medical hiccups along the way there. We've seen Craig Kelly quit the Liberal Party to go and sit on the crossbench. And then in recent days, we've heard more about the Royal Commission into Aged Care uh, with the final report handed over this morning, I think, to be released publicly next week. Um, But I'll focus on state stuff with you now, though. So starting with our COVID-19 response in Victoria and the ongoing management of hotel quarantine in our state, it's obviously been a highly publicised issue for the better part of the last year. On the 12th of February, the government announced a five-day circuit breaker lockdown under stage four restrictions um, for five days due to the outbreak tied into the Holiday Inn quarantine hotel. Um, There was genomic sequencing confirming the infection being 
the the UK strain of the virus or the more con- contagious strain of the virus with fears of it spreading through the community. So it was a you know to stop that from spreading more. Um, and then allegedly it was linked to a nebulizer, which was meant to be banned under quarantine rules, but wasn't. And there was obviously controversy around that whole issue. Um, we went back to the familiar four reasons to leave our homes. Um, and then luckily the lockdown was lifted. It seemed to have worked because it, it was lifted as anticipated on Thursday of last week. Um, but we have had some restrictions remain since then around masks and limits on gatherings, but a few of them are going to be eased tonight, which will take us back to some of the pre-Christmas restrictions, less masks, more visitors, um, and moving forward, more people back in offices as well, which is good. Um, you've expressed your criticism of the Victorian government's handling of the, really of the entire pandemic generally over the past year or so, but more recently this month in relation to these events. And last week you tweeted, quote, the arrogance of Daniel Andrews is unbelievable. No apology to Victorians, no explanation as to why the outbreak, no explanation as to why lockdown the whole state. No reassurance hotel quarantine problems have been fixed except for placing all our hopes on Avalon. Hopeless, explanation mark. And last week you spoke in Parliament pretty um, fired up, pretty animated against giving Daniel Andrews uh, what you've labelled as a blank cheque to extend Victoria's state of emergency powers till the end of the year. You spoke about a circuit breaker versus power failure, um, saying quote, the answer is to fix the problem. So my question is, how do you propose this is done? And if the Liberal Party was leading the state right now, what specifically would you do differently? The starting point for me is it's all about the management. So if you compare Victoria to other states, we we haven't performed as well as other states. And I, I take New South Wales as a really good comparison. New South Wales' priority has been around health, but it's also about keeping the state open and being able to uh, not scare people, but take people on a journey. So when New South Wales have had their outbreaks, what they've done is they've locked down areas where the outbreak has occurred, not locked down the whole state. So Victoria's reaction is um, is largely because they haven't trusted their system. So they've just said, right, we're going to do a, a complete lockdown of the state. The, the, the concern that I have is Victorians have been effectively living in fear as to what might happen, when it may happen. I know a lot of people during the summer period uh, were contacting me uh, in terms of you know, getting back to Victoria after some of the stuff with New South Wales um, and people that came back from Victoria ended up in hotel, from New South Wales came back in hotel, had to sit hotel quarantine. So, um, so there's been a lot of confusion. There's been uh, situations in which um, we're living day to day without a kind of overall plan and, and I, what I would do differently, you know, starting with hotel quarantine, is I would have a health infection expert in control of hotel quarantine. And we don't have that at the moment. It's being run by corrections and police. Now, it's being run by corrections and police because the second outbreak that we saw 800 lives lost was because we had a private security firm that ran um, uh, private security companies that managed hotel quarantine, and we just had it really poorly run from a security perspective. So what Andrews has done is he's doubled down on security and said, I'm going to make sure no one gets out, but hasn't looked at what the real health response to this is. So an infection expert, control expert, will then be able to tell you about when things escape from ventilation, how hotels are set up, all that kind of stuff. So I think that's been one of the big issues from hotel management. I think from contact tracing, we still don't have contact tracing right and we don't have confidence in it. 
And you only have to see that because, again, other states don't lock down the state. They lock down areas. So that's what I would do differently. I would give confidence in a path where we're going forward, um, put some confidence back in um, for when it comes to people all the way from someone that wants to have a wedding to a 21st to um, to an event to go to school, all that kind of stuff, just to give people some reassurance and some confidence where things are at. And I'll finish with this. Um, the reason why the blank check about giving uh, giving state of emergency powers to Daniel Andrews, no other state has this all-encompassing state of emergency powers. What they do is they have specific legislation that deals with specific issues as it arises. So if we need specific legislation to deal with how we manage hotel quarantine, then that's what I think we need to do in Victoria, not have something that effectively takes away people's freedoms, responsibility. You know, according to the state of emergency powers, Daniel Andrews tonight, today could say that you are not allowed to even go and sit on a park bench. Someone could come in your home and pretty much arrest you and take you away without a warrant, without any reason as to why. And I think in terms of infringements of people's freedoms, I think it's an, a massive overreach. And, you know, what we need, and Victorians have been fantastic, is actually listening. By and large, we listen. We want to be safe. We want to get through this pandemic. And so I think we need an adult conversation around what we need to do. We don't need a teacher telling us what to do, but we need a leader working with us to take us on a journey. And that's where I think um, Gladys Berechek in, in New South Wales, she hasn't been perfect, right? They had the, um, the, 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 the stuff happening with the cruise ship um, stuff early on, but she's led. She's taken people on a journey. She's by and large kept the state open. And I think we could learn a lot from New South Wales. All any other lockdown in any other state has been area specific, not the whole state, right? So that's, that's your, your, your beginning here. And also by and large, it's been a health response. So health has managed quarantine and health has managed the pandemic. And it's been the health minister that has managed this. So now we have effectively the police minister, which is in charge of hotel quarantine, along with the corrections, a former corrections commissioner, which we now have a hotel quarantine commissioner, which is someone that was in charge of prisons, is now in charge of hotels. So um, that's an issue because, you know, when it comes to someone like you mentioned, the nebulizer man, who was blamed initially because they said that he shouldn't have taken the nebulizer into hotel quarantine, he claims that he told people um, and, you know, it was confused. They said that he was allowed to have it. So there's confusion around some of all of this. And I know in my conversations that, you know, I talk to police because I'm the shadow police minister about certain instances and you've got people that work in hotel. So we've got two speed, a two-speed system. We've got the infection hotels, which are the health hotels, and there's two of those, and there's 11 other hotels. So we have a two-speed system, you know, and unfortunately the issues have arisen not in the health hotels, which are run by health, but they're being run, the issues have come out of the non-health hotels, which have been run by corrections. So I would have one process, one step run by health, not run by police, not run by corrections, all run with top notch and treat everyone that comes in hotel quarantine like they've got COVID. I mean, that's how the other states run it. Everyone should be treated the same way, not differently. And that would help us get the response. Um, you know, I'm mindful that the government now want to move hotel quarantine to potentially Avalon into another area, into almost like campsites. I have no problems with looking at other alternatives, but you, you, if you don't change the management, it doesn't matter where you locate hotel quarantine, you're still going to get the same result. And the fact that the Premier says that we have the best hotel quarantine program that other states uh, should copy, yet we're taking a lot less people and we have taken less people than New South Wales, it doesn't make any sense. If we've got the best program, then why aren't we taking more people? You know, it's either that good that we've got confidence in it 
or it's not that good in that we can't take as many people because we have problems with the, with the program. So I actually think the real issue has been we don't have a top-notch health system to respond to it. I actually think Victorians have done an awesome job in listening. You know, we've had to go with out so much, and I don't blame Victorians for one minute, but I just think, you know, that the government, yeah, I mean, it's tough, right? It's tough for anyone in, in government at this point in time, but I just think the government could have done a better job in, uh, in keeping us safe and managing us through this. Bit of a change of pace. The issue of the toxic treatment of women in politics has re-emerged following new allegations made by former federal Liberal government staffer Brittany Higgins, who alleges that a man working for then Defence Industry Minister Linda Reynolds took her into Parliament House after a night out in March 2019 and raped her inside the Minister's office. And since then, three further women have made accusations against the same man. And this, of course, follows stories of many other women who've spoken out about inappropriate treatment they experience working in the political space more broadly across all levels of government. Higgins yep. herself called for an independent reporting mechanism along with a review of the laws that govern ministerial offices and the PM announced a range of inquiries from this covering many different issues from how to improve the culture, um, what support is available, uh, what what the processes are for dealing with these complaints and then a, a bit of a look into what actually happened with this particular allegation in his, um, in his office. Um, one of the inquiries is going to be independent um, from the government, which is good. Um, former PM Malcolm Turnbull has welcomed these reviews, but he said that change would only come if there was zero tolerance for bad behaviour. And he said, quote, at the heart of this is a lack of respect for women, with Scott Morrison saying, quote, anyone who thought cultural problems were confined to Parliament House was kidding themselves and that we need to deal with what's happening in our house and everyone else needs to deal with what's happening in theirs. So my question is, what is happening in your house in a state capacity? Does this speak to the more basic questions of the culture of accountability in politics and of um, competent management? Does this demonstrate a culture of silence and, and don't ask, don't tell? And what reforms need to be made at a state level around this issue, in your opinion? Yeah, look, I mean, let me start by saying what happened to Brittany Higgins is inexcusable. And um, for me, it says that uh, we need to fix what invariably seems a broken system. And I think, you know, any anywhere, um, particularly when there's areas of power, uh, that, that you have a situation that potentially uh, that you're putting people in a situation that if you don't have, you know, a system in place to protect those people, you have the potential of these kinds of things happening right through. Um, we saw it happen at the state level with a former uh, Labor minister, that uh, cabinet minister, that um, that uh, it was alleged that he had um, uh, sexually assaulted one of his staff, and he was stood down by by the premier um, from that. Um, so you're absolutely right. It, it sees no boundary. It sees whether it be state, federal, whether it be Labor, Liberal. I mean, this is something that is uh, needs to be fixed. End of story. It needs to be fixed. Uh, and um, and I take um, whether it be against women, but I think even um, more broadly, uh, I think that just this the, the kind of bullying nature of where you can where where, where politics tends to tends to happen. I think even. Even you know, politician to politician at a um, at a very combative uh, adversarial role. So I mean, I joined politics because I thirst the idea to make real change and to make um, 
and, and to come up with good policies and good things to make you know my state the best place and and, and, and somewhere where I you know my kids could grow up and have the best opportunities going right and I think most politicians do that um, they they they, see, they do this for for genuine reasons and making a difference. The last thing you want, I mean, and anyone that's been to a question time and you see the bullying and the intimidation from all sides, from all sides, uh, is, is just horrible. And I've had guests that have come in and they've walked out of there and, and said, how does that, how is that allowed? Um, that would happen in a school. How is that allowed, or a workplace? How is that allowed in the parliament? So if you are starting with a parliament that, that, that has, which is effectively a workplace, that you are making laws about how people behave, how people act, yet we act and behave so inappropriately, then how is that right? So, so I think the whole thing in terms of the way Parliament is run, the structure, the culture, um, the treating people with respect, no matter who you are, I think that's where I, that's where I personally think one would start. And I think, you know, politicians, particularly when you're dealing with staff, and, and not just politicians, but even um, in, in, in Brittany Higgins' case, it was a, it was a staff member dealing with... Um, with, with, with a more junior um, staff member or, or somebody that was... Um, so that's power. That's an abuse of power. And um, and I think in any workplace, it's just... Um, it's completely something that should not be tolerated and needs to change. And Parliament's a place where, you know, we, sh- we make these laws and if we can't get the laws right in our own house, um, in our own parliaments, then, you know, we've got no chance. So that's where I think we really need to make a massive change here. Um, and hopefully... Um, as horrific as, as, as what has happened to Brittany Higgins has had, hopefully the end game from this is to see some real change that actually um, that, that helps people in the future in terms of how we behave, how we act and, and, and how we set the, um, the parliaments in the future. On Monday, the Victorian government announced a $5 million royal commission into Crown's suitability to hold its Victorian casino licence, and that was in response to the serious findings of the New South Wales Independent Liquor and Gaming Authority inquiry, um, the Bergen inquiry, and that was into Crown Sydney casino licence, and that revealed the company's links with organised crime and money laundering and ruled Crown unfit to hold a casino licence in Sydney. And since then, four directors out of the, I think it's four now, out of the nine um, member board have already resigned since the report's release. Perth as well um, has announced a judicial inquiry into the operations there for Crown Casino in Perth. Um, so former federal court judge and senior barrister Raymond Finkelstein has been put on the job of running the Royal Commission here in Melbourne. It's due to be reported back by the 1st of August. It's a pretty ambitious time frame, um, but I think they've said at least by the end of the year. Um, the Victorian government has said that this course of action will ensure the most appropriate access to information about Crown's suitability to hold the casino licence, um, given the Commission's powers to compel witnesses and documents. And they're also establishing a review to examine whether Victoria should set up an independent regulator separate from the VCGLR. Uh, Premier Daniel Andrews said, quote, this is about making sure that those who hold a casino licence in Victoria uphold the highest standards and that they're accountable for their actions. Tim Costello, chief advocate for the Alliance of Gambling Reform, said he was thrilled and that Victorians, in his opinion, had lost confidence in Crown and in the government's ability to govern Crown. Um, Do you think this is overdue? And is this going to stop crime and gambling harm in our state? And if not, what will? We've got to ensure that we've got a 
very, very um, stringent, clear operating um, set of rules when it comes to running casinos because um, we know that, that they are places that are very, very easy to attract all types of crime. I mean, the issue about this particular instance that we're talking about is 18 months ago, we saw 60 Minutes in the Age do an investigation uh, into Crown's um, uh, shenanigans and one of the things that we saw visuals of people walking in with LD supermarket shopping bags with bricks of $150 notes, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of money that was being laundered through the casino. We saw um, uh, uh, commentary around um, things with sex trafficking, drugs, a whole range of activities that, that were, were um, uh, came to the surface 18 months ago. So, so my first question is, why has it taken 18 months to now do a Royal Commission? And New South Wales straight away reacted with the Bergen report and, 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 and really our government's been sitting on their hands and doing nothing, right? So we could have cleaned this up. Uh, we, we could have actually had this done and dusted in the 18 months. Now we've got to wait another six months on top of that 18, 18 months for Royal Commission and then who knows what um, beyond that. I'm concerned about the Royal Commission terms of reference. So... Uh, Excluded in the terms of reference is the gaming regulator, Victorian gaming regulator, and Victoria Police. So here is the regulator that should be responsible for the licence and making sure that they're behaving properly. Properly, they're not part of the the Royal Commission, and police that investigate all this type of um, organised crime and money laundering and everything else, they're not part of the investigation. So I think the government has, and I don't know why, whether it's deliberate, I don't know why, but I think. I think to do it properly, we need those two people in the um, in, in the investigation if we're going to get to the bottom of this. I wouldn't rush it. I mean, I think that um, we've got six months to get this done. I've never seen a Royal Commission done in such a short time frame. So it seems really, really um, a bit tick and flick for me, like get the thing done to say we've done it and then, you know, everyone can move on, nothing to be seen here. This is too important. You know, if we've got Chinese junkets of people coming from overseas into, into Australia to launder millions of dollars of cash, that then gets filtered off to drug money and whatever else onto our streets and goes into organised crime and other things, we've got to stop that. It's just something that is unacceptable. It wouldn't happen if this was any... I mean, if this was the reverse and it was happening in China, it would be shut down immediately, right? So it should be stopped here. Um, I've got no problems with running a casino. I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm again, pro-choice. That people should have the choice. If they want to gamble, go for your life. Uh, I think, you know, Aussies have always been... had a flutter, whether it be on the... Melbourne Cup or whatever else, you know, that's kind of just a part of what we do. It's, it, but providing it's done responsibly, um, I think all that's fine. But I also think things need to be done fairly and honestly. And when we've got this type of corruption that is what we're, what we're looking at at the moment, I have a real problem with it. And I'll finish with one thing. It's interesting, you know, but um, uh, back in 2014, Lloyd Williams, who was the, the, the who ran Crown Casino on behalf of the, of the Packers, um, was overheard in a conversation, this is public knowledge, with, with Daniel Andrews saying that um, we will kick every goal for you in terms of helping you with the election, um, you know, if you look after us kind of thing. So um, to be able to have that kind of, you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, you know, we're there to help you, that's not, there is no place for that in politics. Uh, and, and, you know, I think there's got to be a very, 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 particularly when you're dealing with things like casinos where all of these allegations that are now taking place. So that stuff needs to be cleaned up. Um, and I'm not suggesting that, you know, that Daniel Andrews, as a result, has necessarily turned a blind eye to this, but I think there is no place for that either. So, um, you know, that's not where we sit. It's interesting, you know, as and I can't probably come back in terms of where we, you know, 
you know, for me, politics, you know, I'm a, I'm a moderate, I'm a centralist in terms of my views. I think that, you know, for, I joined the Liberal Party because, for me, the Liberal Party represents the party for all. No matter your background, where you come from, what I said at the beginning, it's about a level playing field that should give everyone an opportunity. We're not the party of big business. Um, in fact, it's quite the opposite. We, we're the party that give everyone a go. But, you know, I don't think anyone that gets a bit of an unfair advantage because of who they are or what they are, and that 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 includes Crown Casino, they're not fit to hold a licence. So in my view, there needs a proper Royal Commission. We need to get to the bottom of this. And if there are, if these allegations are proven um, substantiated, then there needs to be an outcome to clean it up. It's got to be cleaned up. Credit to you in terms of what you're trying to do with this podcast. I believe strongly that we need to get more young people engaged in politics. I think that if that was one thing that I could really do, I would want to get more engagement in the political process. I think, you know, young people are full of really, really good ideas. Uh, and, you know, it's not cliche to say that they are our future. A lot of people say that. But at the end of the day, let's talk, let's do less talk and more action and get young people actually politically engaged, active and, and involved. Um, and so I think I think that's really, really important. And I think one of the things that the lockdown has really shown me is a lot of young people that were politically disengaged, they wouldn't know who their local politician was, they couldn't care about politics. Because a lot of, you know, whether, whether you agree or disagree with where the government went with a lot of things, a lot of people saw their freedoms being taken from them and they couldn't go out, they couldn't go to uni, they couldn't do a lot of things, they got spent sitting at home, really, and, and where politics was secondary to their life, politics became primary to their life and the, probably if there's anything that the pandemic's done in terms of a positive if you like it's actually woken a lot of people up to be able to say hey you know politics and politicians have a really big influence in your lives and you need to be involved in the decision making and that's why i think you know for me it's really really important to get young people politically engaged thank you for saying that david i really appreciate that and obviously thank you so much for coming on the podcast for coming on the show and chatting with me it's been insightful to hear your perspective on different issues and um yeah, I hope we chat again. Pleasure. Good luck. Good luck with your career and hopefully see you um, in Parliament one day in the future.